love this music. I don't know why I like it so much. It's weird. Welcome to the Copernican Shift. I'm Grad Khan, and I'm here to shift your Copernican. <laughs> what does that even mean? My God. It's been a weird week for me. I'm just going to put that out there. So we'll see where this goes. So what should I talk about first, Randy? What do you want, which one do you want me to do first? Let's do... What was the first one we said? We said... Um, the Pampers. Pampers. Let's talk about diapers. I'm talking about diapers? What was the other one? Tragedy of the Commons. Mm, there was another one. Tesla. Oh, no, no. Amazon Prime. That's oh, it. I, kind of, do uh, that. I spoiled the, that's the punchline. I gave yeah. away the punchline. <laughs> okay, you don't have to listen to the rest of the show. It's all been ruined by Randy. You haven't ruined anything. Don't worry. They have no idea what I'm going to talk about. Okay, I want to talk about the. Um, I want to talk about streaming. That's what I want to talk about first. So I'm going to do that first, Randy. Okay, and then we'll do another show on diapers, which is a different kind of streaming. <laughs> Oh boy, I'm getting real nervous. You know, I am, I am just drinking coffee, just for clarity. Um, there's nothing in here except for cream and a bit of sugar. It might be the sugar. So, I have had this talk track I've been using for quite a while, and so I'm gonna use it again today. And it's about humans' inability to correctly see the future. Um, we're, we're notoriously bad at predicting the future. It's actually quite amazing how bad we are at it. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, read any science fiction book until Snow Crash in 1994. Any science fiction book predicting the future future, right? Now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, and I'll ask you a question. Do any of those books predict the internet? And keep in mind, the ARPANET existed at the time that most of those books were being written. ARPANET is uh, 50 years old. If your answer is no, grad, no science fiction novel published until 1994 predicted the internet, you would be correct. Just kind of like literally that's their, they have, they have one job <laughs> and they missed the most important evolution in humanity. It's kind of amazing actually when you think about it. So, um, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I, I do think that the way our brains work is that we iterate on other people's ideas. That's why the um, U.S. Patent Bureau may be one of the most important creations in human history. And people don't think of it that way, and I don't think a lot of Americans don't appreciate the power of the Patent Bureau uh, or the level of innovation that occurred there. And, you know, Randy, make a note. Let's do a whole show on the Patent Bureau. We'll kind of deep research it a bit and hit the Wikipedia page and that kind of stuff, but we just reference it really quickly right now. So um, until the Patent Bureau came along, um, people would basically invent things and keep it a secret because it was the only way to protect your invention. Secrecy was the only way to protect it. The result is that innovation was slower because it took a long time to figure out these secrets. And there are still many secrets like this, like the Coca-Cola formula, open source by OpenCola, by the way, 2001. 
You can still find it online. Open cola. And um, the Kentucky Fried Chicken, Secret Herbs and Spices. Look it up. There's like hundreds of people who think they figured it out. It's never quite right. I don't know what else is in there, but it's not quite right. Uh, and, you know, the list goes on. Maybe the Big Mac special sauce. Again, people think they're close, but something to do with celery salt, maybe vinegar. People can't quite get it right. So there are closed source examples out there. But what the patent office did is it offered protection for your invention that no one would copy it in exchange for you publishing it. And I don't think people really understand the subtlety of this. So I will give you something of value, protection, in exchange for your value, which is your IP. And we'll publish it. So what people would do is they would see a new invention get published. They go, well, that's pretty cool. And they would either license it or they would figure out how to do it better and patent their own version that was even better. This is what stimulated a massive amount of innovation uh, in the U.S. economy and in U.S. inventors. And it really created the whole ethos of the invention um, culture in the United States, which again, Americans just take for granted. They don't, they don't understand how hardwired it is into the country. Um, but best innovation ever us patent office. Let's just put that out there. We'll come back to that in another show. So humans iterate on top of other ideas. That's the beauty of the patent office is I can stand on the shoulders of giants to come up with my next thing. And so it's, it's hard to iterate in leaps. So when the first radio ads came out, they're like, hmm, what are we going to do with this? Right? We've got radio. The ads will be, I guess, plays, because kind of that's spoken word. That's what we know how to do. And so if you hear early radio ads, they sound weird because they're like little plays that people are reading. We learned how to do better radio ads. When the first TV ads came out, what they did is they're like, well, we do advertising on radio. So now we have television, which has got pictures. So we're going we're gonna to film the radio ads being read. Those are the early TV ads. Um, made total sense at the time because people didn't understand, like, what would we do with this new medium? And over time, obviously, a point of view evolved. It's pretty sophisticated today. Uh, when the web first came out, and this is a hilarious one, um, people were using words like information superhighway, which is just the silliest I think ever. Um, but people would say, well, we're going to put ads in there. We'll make them like billboards. Hmm? Got it. And so they would put a billboard on the web page, and the billboard would be a billboard. You wouldn't be able to click on it. It wasn't interactive, wasn't responsive, nothing. It just sat there because that's how we do advertising course today web ads are interactive you can click on them and click through and stuff you wouldn't even like if you clicked on a if you saw an ad that you couldn't click on it would be what is that 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 is just strange and doesn't make any sense to me right so we've learned how to use that medium so and i, I just think it's uh this this um sort of inability of humans to leap is, is probably at the core of many of the mindset challenges at organizations. We have this structure I like to talk about where a lot of companies think about what tools am I going to buy to make my company more effective? And in my guidance is think about it in a slightly different model. As opposed to a tool first model, why not do a mindset first model? 
Then think about the skill sets involved in that mindset. Then come up with the tool set. So mindset, skill set, tool set. Um, and so there's this uh, concept called skewmorphs. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. S-K-E-U, morphs, skewmorphs. And it, it's a, an example of how humans have tended to even keep the elements from the past in the future. So a couple of good examples would be the save icon in all the office products from Microsoft. It's a floppy disk. I mean, I'm not even sure people even know what that symbol is anymore. It's just the symbol for save, but it is a floppy disk. <laughs> you know, my daughters are in their mid twenties. They've never seen a floppy disk. So we're talking a generation, generation and a half behind us. Um, but that's the save icon. I think that's very funny. Um, you've got, you know, light bulbs that flicker like candles because we still like the sense of candlelight. Um, I think that's really funny. The first cars that came out, they actually had horses' heads on the front because the cars were sharing the roads with horses, and so they didn't want to scare the horses, so they had a stuffed horse's head on the front of the car. I will say, if I was a horse, um, I, I may come back as one. If you know anything about um, arrow shirts, Joe comes back as a horse. Classic ad. Uh, the test. Um, anyways, if I, if I was Joe and I came back as a horse uh, and I looked to my left and I saw like my cousin stuffed and nailed to the front of a car, I'm not sure that would make me feel better. Yeah, no, it wouldn't. It would make me feel a lot worse. <laughs> I'm thinking I'd prefer you not be nailed to the car. Anyway, so, but that's what we do. We tend to define things. If you think about even word processors or electric typewriters, you know, we, we're always using that old terminology. So what's the latest example? And it's actually a pretty good one. I heard this the other day. I was in a conversation with a brilliant young man and he, he was telling me about something he was doing. And he said, if you look at streaming and the way that streaming services deliver content, it's almost like taking a text file and posting it to a website. It's crude, it's simple. We're essentially just taking the broadcast feed that we used to have going over the airwaves or going over cable and we're just plunking it into an internet feed. And that's it. But when you think about the possibilities of what you can do, it's actually pretty extraordinary. I mean, you're in a network that is interactive. It's two-way, right? So I could interact with the show. I could do different things. The network knows what I'm watching and how I'm watching it. Um, probably knows my habits and can probably predict what I'm doing based on my pause behavior, etc. Like the, the list is nearly endless. And you're starting to see some, you see, um, and here's what Randy was afraid he was giving away, but of course, you know, he missed all the other ramblings. Um, but Amazon Prime, when you pause the show or mouse over, um, the thing called X-ray comes up and you can see who the actors in the scene are. And you know, you're always doing that, right? Like, oh, where do I know that actor from? And then you can actually find that with Amazon. It's very helpful. Um, but that's sort of the limit of it. Um, on Hulu now, when you pause at a show, they'll bring up an ad on the screen. So there's an ad that's not, not, a, not a video ad, but just almost like a branding moment will come up on the screen. I've seen a lot of Charmin ads with the bears, a lot of bears doing bum wipes because I think what they're sort of figuring is that when people pause a show while it's streaming, they're likely to be going to the bathroom. So that's a good time to give them a 
bathroom tissue message. You know, crazier things have worked. Although I think at that point it's probably too late to go be buying bathroom tissue, but we'll just like, we'll go from there. Um, wouldn't it be better to put the bathroom tissue ads synonymous with like the cooking shows? Just saying. One leads to the other. So, um, so that's kind of what's happening a little bit right now, but there's so much more that's going to happen. And uh, there are not that many companies out there who are doing this. It's, it's quite interesting because we're so early in this technology, it's primarily, primarily vertically integrated. So there's a great book called My Years with General Motors by Alfred P. Sloan uh, of Sloan Kettering and uh, Sloan School of Business. That's Sloan, the one who uh, was the CEO of GM uh, from the 1920s through the er, mid-1960s, created the world's largest uh, corporate organization in the process of doing that. Brilliant manager. And um, in that book, he talks about vertical and horizontal um, integration waves. In the early days of the car, when cars were new and no one really made them, it was very important to be vertically integrated. So Ford all went all the way from having their own rubber trees and their own lumber uh, mills so they could make wood for the cars and everything else, uh, fully integrated, um, all the way to you know steel. Uh, over time, as a car industry evolved, um, lots of people could start to make those pieces. And so where GM really... Um, broke through is that GM was a horizontally um, managed company which pulled in parts from many suppliers, created a common platform, created levels of cars in terms of pricing, and off they went to sort of glory. Plus a major innovation in Chevrolet. Chevrolet was the first closed car. So so funny to think about that, right? Um, there were all cars up to the point when the first Chevrolet came out were open. And so the Chevrolet was the first car where you could close the door and roll up the window and be protected from the elements. People, uh, not surprisingly, really liked it. <laughs> so read that book. So he talks about these different waves. And, and in the computer industry, same thing. You know, Apple was vertically integrated at the early stage of uh, the industry, uh, in the PC industry. Um, Microsoft came out and did a horizontal motion. And that was the winning motion. And Microsoft created a massive amount of value by doing that. Uh, when digital hubs in the home came out, uh, Apple stay, had never really wandered from its vertical strategy, but was almost a non-existent company because in the PC industry, it didn't make any sense anymore. But in the digital industry, in the hub industry, the complexity of connecting stored music on your PC to a device and to be able to sort of cast it to other devices was so complex, you really needed the closed system again. And so suddenly, Apple's vertical strategy became relevant again. Microsoft stayed with the horizontal strategy and it was a disaster. And you know, today Microsoft's not in that business. So this, this vertical, horizontal, strategic inflection points, very, very interesting. And sort of take a look at that uh, in history and take a look at it even in your own business and try to understand where you are. So if you look at where we are in streaming today, streaming is pretty complicated and pretty hard. And so companies like Netflix, to a large extent, because it's probably about half of all streaming instances right now, uh, Amazon, which is uh, pretty big, uh, not the biggest, pretty big, uh, Apple, Apple Plus, they're all in a vertical strategic inflection point, um, which is, which is uh, not surprising in the early days of a new industry. But there's probably going to be a horizontal inflection because the fact of the matter is, you know, there's probably about a thousand channels and publishers out there in the broadcast world. 
And the men's I, ones I mentioned have scale to build an engineering team to manage it. But Cartoon Network doesn't. Nickelodeon doesn't. Because I'm probably giving away some of the stuff I tend to watch on a normal basis. Um, you know, VH1 doesn't. Uh, you know, I, you know, Roku doesn't. You know, Hulu doesn't. Like, they're not going to be able to build 10,000 member engineering teams to run this stuff. So what are they going to do? They're going to look to somebody to do it for them. And this is where there is a really amazing opportunity for a player to come in and a horizontal inflection and disintermediate Netflix and the others and empower the whole industry. I think that company exists today. Uh, it's called Amagi. It's an Indian company. It just closed a C-series round with Excel, and they are doing exactly what I'm talking about. It's very, very interesting. Take a look at it. Uh, so that's a whole bunch of fun stuff about strategic inflection points and about streaming. And let's talk about the future of streaming for a second. So, you know, where, where could we go? While I'm watching a show, shouldn't I be able to socially interact? While I'm watching a show, shouldn't I be able to buy the things the characters are wearing? While I'm watching a show, shouldn't I know who plays the characters? You know, that's X-ray. Uh, while I'm watching the show, shouldn't I be able to invite friends to watch a show with me? While I'm watching the show, shouldn't the show maybe show me different things based on who I am? Maybe I see a different ending. Huh? Maybe I see different kinds of characters. Maybe the characters look more like me. Or maybe they look less like me, depending on you know, sort of what the content of the show is. Uh, maybe the show cuts some certain scenes because they know that kids are watching or they know that I don't like those kinds of scenes. I tend to skip over them. Uh, for example, I know somebody who is deathly afraid of needles. In fact, there was, was an experience we had recently as a play, and there was a, a just a character on stage pretending to put a needle in their arm. They didn't even have a needle. It was just literally just complete pretend, and uh, she flinched. So, I mean, that really doesn't like needles. Um, so maybe needle scenes get cut out for example. So, and just, I can only imagine, you know, feel free to comment on all the different things that we could be doing in streaming, given that we're plugged into a two-way network. It's kind of, kind of mind-blowing. And that's where we got to get going. And that's where the whole point about not being able to know the future is that we have tended to use streaming today as just another way of watching broadcast TV that was dumbly sent over the airwaves. But now we have a hyper-personalized network that's two-way Shouldn't we be doing different things? And what I am excited about, and this is maybe one of my favorite things about being a human today, is that the things that I mentioned a minute ago, sure, probably, there's going to be some other stuff that's going to happen that we have no idea. We have no idea. And it's going to burst on the scene, kind of like a TikTok burst on the scene. And next thing you know, we're all going to be talking about it. And we're all going to be doing it. This is an amazing time to be alive. Uh, for the Copernican Shift, I'm Brad Kahn, and thanks for listening.